evening, uh, ICBA Council members, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, good evening, bonsoir. Uh, thank you, Chris, for that very kind introduction. I've been accused of many things in my political career. Grace and humility are not top of the list, <laughs> but thank you very much. Um, and thanks as well to Kate Hickey for uh, the invitation to speak to you this evening. Uh, also want to acknowledge uh, Ambassador Nancy Smythe, who is here today, uh, and those of you who've travelled long distances, especially those of you who've crossed the Atlantic and come from Canada, uh, you are most welcome, and it's great that we can travel again. Uh, it's also really good that we're able to meet in person at events like this after what has been a very difficult couple of years. Colleagues, the strength of the Ireland-Canada relationship is in evidence here this evening. We have a deep historical connection stretching back for centuries, indeed stretching back to the Statute of Westminster in 1929 when we worked together to secure full sovereignty for both our countries and again to formalise diplomatic relations in 1939 when we exchanged ambassadors and opened embassies in each other's capitals. On a more personal note, Justin Trudeau was the first Prime Minister that I hosted as Taoiseach back in July 2017. And the following month, I had the pleasure to visit Montreal and Toronto. I visited Canada many times and have family there. And it is a country that I very much admire. And I see as a natural ally for Ireland. Progressive, culturally diverse, economically advanced, and a country that seeks to demonstrate leadership on what is a very difficult world stage. Although Canada is much bigger than Ireland, certainly geographically, we both share a difficult, not always difficult, but an interesting relationship with uh, a larger neighbour economically uh, and in terms of political power, one that is usually good but sometimes can be a little bit difficult, particularly when we feel they don't understand us. Uh, so we understand each other in that regard. Uh, but I think it's fair to say that we have a very common outlook. Uh, we're committed to multilateralism, countries working together. We're committed to free trade. We're agreed that countries like ours do best when we're open to the world. We value personal liberty and welcome newcomers. And we're committed to working together in international fora to protect the planet for future generations. And there are, of course, three uh, rather curious historical connections that we have, which aren't much talked about. Um, and some of you may be familiar with Newfoundland, a place that I've had the pleasure to visit. And generally in the Irish language, um, a place name in Irish sounds pretty much the same as the place name in English. Uh, so Germany is on Germain, France is on Rank or on Frank, Spain is on Spain, London is London with an AI, you get the picture. Um, but it's not the same for Newfoundland. Uh, Newfoundland is one of the only places in the world that has a distinctive name in Irish, uh, and that is Talvanesk, the land of the fish. And that speaks to the fact that the migration from Ireland to Canada is so great uh, that it occurred when people were still speaking Irish as their main language in the south and east of the country and took that with them to Canada and spoke Irish there uh, for quite some time. And having visited there, still speak English with a very distinctive uh, Kilkenny Wexford Waterford accent, which is very strange. I almost thought it was made up, but it's not. Um, the, the, the second connection, and, and again, not as well known as it might be, uh, Canada is the only country or one of the few countries, uh, Scotland I think is the only one, uh, apart from Canada, which was invaded by Ireland. And that, of course, is the Fenian invasion of Ireland, which happened, I can't remember exactly when, it was sometime in the early 19th century, where 
Irish patriots uh, invaded Canada from the United States, uh, trying to liberate it from the British at the time. Didn't work out so well, but the sentiment was good. Um, uh, And of course, the other particular connection, uh, and that is the fact that not too far from here in in the RDS, uh, Canada's most famous daughter, Celine Dion, won the Eurovision here in Dublin. Um, and, um, and of course, um, taking all contestants to somewhere uniquely Irish, she was taken by Borden Amona to see a bog. And uh, <laughs> people should Google that; it's quite a, quite quite the zeitgeist um, uh, to see that see that those particular um, particular scenes. Uh, and indeed, she will be here in Dublin in March. So uh, expect to see you all then. Um, But there is, of course, uh, a sadness in our shared history as well. Uh, Over the centuries, as Chris said earlier, millions of our people found a home in Canada. And indeed, we contributed to the development of such a great country. One in eight Canadians claim Irish heritage today, a higher proportion than is the case in the United States. And during the Great Famine in the 1840s, when a million starving people were forced to emigrate, Many found food and shelter and a new home in Canada, passing through Grosseal before, before fanning out across the country. And they found there a family, and today those familial connections are as strong as ever. The trauma of that famine is memorialised in both our countries. Just across the river from here, there's the famine memorial by Rowan Gillespie, which is a poignant commemoration of the starving people who were forced to depart and find new lives in other countries. And in Ireland Park in Toronto, there are matching sculptures representing the people arriving to start a new life, representing despair and hope, mirror images of that transatlantic experience, joining our countries forever together, despite being 3,000 miles apart. And I think given that shared history we have, It is so important that we open our doors to those who must flee Ukraine now because of the war being imposed on them. And also not forget that as a side effect, and I hate to even use that term, uh, there are people now starving once again uh, in the Horn of Africa. But those statues across the river stand next to the International Financial Services Centre, where we see the bright headquarters of Irish and multinational corporations, and indeed our own central bank. And I think it's fair to say that the Ireland of 2022 is unrecognisable when compared with the Ireland of that distant past. Like many other countries, we have a lot of problems, but Ireland is a good place to live. And the 80,000 people who came here last year, including 30,000 returning Irish citizens, are testament to that. We've never had more people at work, 2.55 million people at the moment, Uh, Youth unemployment is almost at an all-time low. Female participation in the labour force has never been higher. And incomes notwithstanding inflation have never been higher too. We're recording budget surpluses at a time when many of our peers are running deficits. And few countries in the world are are, are in as strong a position economically as Ireland is today. And it is pertinent to ask why. And of course, the truth is always a little bit complex. It's a combination of hard work and policy decisions and good relationships and also a little bit of Irish luck. But our formula is a simple one. It's to invest in talent, to welcome talent to our shores, to have a stable and competitive tax offering, 
political stability, a good track record, a pro-business environment, and firmly putting our place at the heart of the European Union, advocating for more integration, not less, as founding members of the Euro, the single market, PESCO, which is our defence and security cooperation, and very strong supporters of enlargement. Back in 1903, before we became independent, we welcomed our first Canadian company to Ireland, and that was, of course, Canada Life. Since then, we've welcomed many other well-known Canadian companies, including Great West Life, Couchetar, Air Canada, Shopify, Irving Oil, Brookfield Renewables, Celestica, Toronto Dominion, not to forget, of course, Press Reader, Neffin Energy, and RSM, sponsors tonight. And we now estimate we've well, we're pretty sure we've about 75 Canadian companies now operating in Ireland, employing over 15,000 people. And what we seek to do is to offer Canadian companies a gateway to the European Union. And we hope to be particularly attractive to high-growth Canadian tech companies that want to scale. Irish companies are also finding their place in Canada, particularly in areas like financial services, education, software, aerospace, digital media, animation, engineering and food. And about 600 Irish companies now export to Canada and employ about 6,000 people in Canada. I know that many of you here this evening represent those companies and I really want to thank you for your continued investment and the contribution you made to the economy and also to bilateral relations between the two countries. We, we of course, mentioned CETA earlier on um, and I think it's fair to say that the two-way investment that is very strong between the two countries can be further enhanced uh, by the full ratification of CETA. Uh, as you know, uh, cases are currently being seen, being heard in the Supreme Court as to whether or not a referendum is required, and we can't preempt the outcome of those cases. Um, but if uh, it's determined that a referendum is not required, we will proceed to ratification as soon as possible thereafter. And I want to reiterate that ratifying CETA is not just my, my own wish and my own desire, uh, it's also government policy uh, with the unanimous agreement of the Cabinet uh, on doing exactly that. I know I don't need to convince anyone here tonight of the benefits of CETA, but even since provisional ratification five years ago, we've seen duties on 98% of products being removed and goods and services exports to Canada increasing by one third. And we know from the economic analysis done and the independent economic analysis done that it's estimated that free trade agreements between Ireland and uh, a number of countries, Canada, South Korea, Mexico and Japan, will increase real, real wages by up to 4.4%, with the largest increases being for low-income workers, which demolishes the idea that well-designed free trade agreements exert downward pressure on wages when that simply is not the case. So I want to thank the ICBA for your engagement on CETA, for attending the Joint Oireachtas Committee hearings, uh, and indeed for your advocacy uh, in the political system and through the media as well. Um, I'm a strong believer that Ireland should be a leader in Europe when it comes to free trade agreements, and we should be, if not the first to ratify, should at least be early movers in that regard. And as I often say to opponents, if we can't ratify and conclude a free trade agreement with Canada, who can we conclude a free trade agreement with? Uh, so, colleagues, um, I just really wanted to um, conclude tonight um, by once again saluting what is the strength of the Ireland-Canada relationship, a relationship that is connected by our cultures, 
by our literatures, and above all, by our people. We're divided by a wide ocean, but bound together forever by our past and united in our hope and ambition for the future. Ireland and Canada share a truly unique relationship. And as we face an uncertain world and the increasing challenges of this new century, Canada will remain a friend and ally for Ireland and a partner in working towards the betterment of our people, our two countries and the wider world. Thank you very much and enjoy your evening.